Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Judges, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, all of you came here this morning with something. You came here ready to hear the word. You came here with the burdens of your sins. You came here with hearts and minds and ears open to what God has to say to you today. You came here with struggles, mental, physical, emotional. Each and every one of you are at different places in your life because you're different people. No two of you are the same, even if you were identical twins. You don't share everything identically. And so we all find ourselves at different points, different stages in life. If you've ever gone on a, a trip or a journey somewhere, you probably spent some time getting ready for it. There are those who take a trip, who plan a holiday, who prepare for mission work like we just did this past week with our Sachigo Lake team. And because so much time and effort goes into planning and preparation, when it's time to leave, you feel ready to go. You feel excited. You feel great about everything that's happened up until that point. Then there are those who, even with planning, like our Sachigo Lake team, feel scared or unprepared for what is to come. Maybe you're worried or anxious about what the future holds. Maybe you feel weak, inadequate, discouraged in your abilities. Maybe you feel like nothing ever goes right with you, and so why would this thing be any different? Anyone ever felt any of those feelings before? And what about once things got started? Did you ever lose confidence in your ability? Especially if things didn't go your way. Or if you got lost on your journey, got turned around, whatever it might be. The same can be asked about our journey of faith. Do you ever feel unprepared to serve the Lord? Do you ever feel scared for what lies ahead in your life because of the uncertainty? Have you ever lost confidence in who you are when things don't go your way? Have you ever felt lost in life? Have you ever felt lost in faith? Maybe we can see some similarities between ourselves and Gideon, the next judge of Israel on our list. At this point, Israel has been captured by the Midianites because they strayed from the Lord. They sinned again. And they were subject to the Midianites for seven years before they cried out to God. And then the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Go save the people. Because he's heard their pleas and he's going to save them. 
And Gideon's first response is, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon feels inadequate. And not just himself, but his whole clan is the weakest of the people. And he is the worst person to be chosen. Now maybe this is because him, his family, they've given in the temptation the most. Maybe they've become the worst of sinners. And thus they are the weakest in their faith. So Gideon, he puts God to the test. And it works. God plays along with his requests. And afterwards, after this first call, God tells him to tear down the Baal altars and the Asherah poles, which instead of doing it by day like God had told him to do it, he does it in the nighttime because he's scared. But he still does it. And that's why Gideon is given the name Jerubbaal, because he challenged Baal to contend for himself. You know, Baal, if you're really a god, because the people are mad that the altar and all these things had been torn down, he said, if, if Baal's really God, then he can take care of it himself. Right? He can contend for himself. And after this, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they come against the people of Israel because of what Gideon's done. And this is when Gideon does the whole fleece and the dew test twice. Now, the first time he wanted the fleece to have dew on it and the ground to be dry, and the second time he wanted the dew to be all around the fleece and the fleece to be dry. God, again, listens to him and does exactly as requested without getting mad at Gideon for having him be tested again. He shows his patience. And we could certainly say that there's probably a weakness in faith on the part of Gideon to keep putting God to the test. Really, Gideon, he starts out as this reluctant, uncertain leader, judge. But God still uses him. And now God is going to put Gideon and his faith to the test. If Gideon really is weak in his faith, God is going to weaken his army, his military strength severely. The signs he did for Gideon were intended for Gideon to put all of his trust in the Lord instead of himself, instead of his army. And so, too, are the next thing that God does. So remember, Gideon started out with 32,000 men, which I imagine he felt pretty good about. Felt prepared. Felt ready for battle. And God says, you have too many people. If you win this battle, you will put more faith in yourselves thinking that you are the ones that saved the people. So you need less people. Send home anyone who is scared, anyone who is trembling, anyone who is afraid of battle, afraid to die, afraid of what lies ahead. And in an instant, over two-thirds of their army is gone. Now, who knows if Gideon thought he would lose that many, but 22,000 people? It's a tough pill to swallow. Okay, so 10,000 people. All right, 10,000 people? Maybe it's doable. We can, we can do this, right? We can defeat Midian. And God says, wait just a second. You still have too many men. I got another test for you. Similar to how 
Gideon tested God twice with the fleece. So God decreases the size of the army in two different ways. The second way is based on how the men drink when they go down to the water to quench their thirst. So there were two ways that this was done. There were those who lapped like dogs. All right, you can imagine, right, the water in front of you. They get down on all fours and, right? And then there are the ones that bend down and they bring the water from their hands to their mouths to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. So if you imagine, they would bend down to use their hands, they are more alert. They're in a more defensive position. If someone were to come and attack them, whereas those who got down on, on all fours and drinks like a dog, they're completely defenseless. They are completely vulnerable, and thus they are unfit for service, they're sent home. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So 9,700 men are sent home. And with that, Gideon and his tiny army are outnumbered 450 to 1. Because the army they were going against numbered 135,000 men. So it would maybe make sense that Gideon is a little scared of those ratios. God tells him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So Gideon goes down there. He hears the dream of this one guy, this good news that God is going to give them the camp. And then he worships God. So finally, Gideon takes courage in the Lord and what he has done and said. And so Gideon, he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. So what's going to be the weapon for Gideon and the people of Israel? Trumpets, empty jars, and torches. Doesn't really sound like a recipe for success. I mean, we, we already had 22,000 sent home for being afraid. Can you imagine what 300 men thought? What Gideon was like? All right, guys, we're going to take out the Midianites with nothing more than the clothes on our backs. Oh, and some fire and some loud noise. Sound good? Great, let's go. And then he says, so when I give you the signal, you're going to break the jars, you're going to blow the trumpets, and you're going to shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Which is going to be ironic because they're not even going to use swords in this battle. And so in the middle of the night, the trumpets blow, the jars are smashed, the torches are lit, and the people shout, and it throws the whole Midianite camp into pandemonium. It throws them into confusion. And they turn their swords on one another. And then there are some who run away. So that day, with 300 men, God gave Gideon the victory. What seemed like impossible odds for Gideon and his men was not impossible for God. God can do a lot with a little.
That's because God's word to Gideon from the beginning remained true, and that was, I will be with you. And so maybe today you find yourself in the shoes or the sandals of some of the people from the story. Maybe you're fearful, afraid of something that's going on in your life. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis of your health. Maybe you didn't, but maybe somebody in your family got a bad health diagnosis. Maybe it's your loved one, your friend, your spouse. Maybe some things have happened in your life that have really discouraged you. Maybe you take a look at the world. Maybe you take a look at your family. Maybe you take a look at the church, and, and you just can't see many positives anywhere. Maybe things in your life have been going well, but you still don't feel like you're good enough. You're feeling weak. You're struggling, struggling with your faith. Why do we have bad health? Why do we have fears? Why are we anxious? Why do we not trust? Why are we so easily discouraged? Why do we have doubts? It's because of sin. Now maybe you're the opposite, and you actually feel pretty good about where you are at in life, where you're at in your faith. You're confident in your talents and abilities, and you can conquer the world. Man, do you feel good. And you feel good enough. And so maybe the temptation is to trust more in yourself than in others, but especially more than God. And that was certainly why God wanted the number of Israel's army to be lower, so that they wouldn't claim that the victory was theirs alone, but that it really was God's. To that side, why do we depend upon ourselves and our own strength alone? Why do we feel like we're good enough and that we don't need anything or anyone else, that we don't need God? It's because of sin. And maybe you're somewhere in the middle. You have some concerns. You have some doubts. But the reassurances that you need, you look for them in others. You look for them in the world. Maybe even look for them in yourself. Why do we try and find our value and our value in the world based on what we can do? Why do we listen to the voices of the world to tell us what we're worth? It's because of sin. And what does sin get us? It gets us death. And this goes back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they had the perfect life. They had everything. And they had one rule to follow. And Satan comes along and he says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Four words. Change the world and our lives forever. Did God actually say? And Satan has been using this ever since. 
For those who put confidence in themselves, Satan's voice will say, did God really say that you're good enough? Did God really say that you're strong enough? Did God really say that you're smart enough? Because I don't think you are. For those who are already struggling, Satan's voice will say, did God really say that he cares about you? Did God really say that he loves you? Did God really say that you are worth saving? Because I don't think you are. And what's left is despair. It's doubt. It's uncertainty as to where you actually stand with God. Here's the truth. Sin leads to death. It does. And it's not just physical death. It's eternal death. It's hell. It's forever being separated from God. God's word is clear on that. God's word is also clear on what follows the consequences for our sin. That he was going to send a savior to save his people from sin and death. That he would rescue his people from hell. And he does that by sending Jesus. One man who just also happens to be God. Not an army of 32,000 people, an army of one. Because God can do a lot with a little. In the gospel, we heard these words. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, in this lifetime, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have struggles. The enemies will look great. They will look massive. They will look impossible to overcome. They will prowl around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. But God is greater. And he can do all things. When your sin seems too much, God forgives much. God knows what he is doing, even if it doesn't always look like much. Like Gideon, with some trumpets and some jars and some torches. Because with God, even a little is enough. Through a virgin came the tiny baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And that baby grew up into a man. That man is the Son of God. And that Son of God laid down his life for all people. He died on the cross for all of our sins, for all of our fears, for all of our doubts, for all of our worries, for all the times that we are not good enough because of our sin, for all the lies that the world tells us, for trusting in other things and other people instead of God, for all the troubles that we cause ourselves and all the troubles that the world causes us. Jesus overcame them through his death and through his resurrection. He came to calm your fears and your worries and your anxieties and your concerns. He came to be the voice that you hear above all other voices. The words, the voices of the world, our sinful flesh and the devil are not the ones that matter. 
even though our sinful selves want them to. God came to show you how much he loves you, what you are actually worth. And you are worth his precious life. Our identity, our strength, who we are, comes from God. And he is enough. What he says matters. And the reading from Romans says that the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. By faith, who you are is a child of God. Faith given to you by the Holy Spirit. You are called by name, by him in your baptism. You are redeemed by him. You are forgiven through his death. And you are given the promise of eternal life through his resurrection. You are an heir. And an heir inherits. Did God really say he loves you? Did God really say he cares? Did God really die and rise for you? Did God really say he's always with you? And did God really win eternal life for you? Yes, 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 and yes. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.